welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. And I'm Noelle. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Catholics. Today we are going to discuss Holy Week and... Talk about what we do with our families and personally during this week and what this week means to us and to the church. So Holy Week to me feels like an entire person's life, a spiritual life in one week. Because you have like the conversion moment which happens on Palm Sunday where you're like, yay Jesus and you're the king and you're so great. And then you have the Holy Thursday where... Jesus is doing great things. You know, he's washing your feet. He's he's really taking care of you. And then he asks you to stay awake with him that first test and you fall asleep. Um, or like Peter, you be, you lie about him or, or deny knowing him. Um, or Judas even betray him. You, you betray him. And then there's that like intense sorrow on Friday where we just repent or we're so sorry as we come to realize the, the actions that we did that are have hurt that relationship with Christ. And there's a, a feeling of just being alone, but also seeing the consequences of those actions. Um, so that's the repentance part. And then you have the resurrection, you know, and it's like new life. We start again. Jesus has poured out his mercy. He's forgiven us. And I feel like this is my spiritual life, you know, very often after I come off of a retreat, you know, it's this, yay, Jesus, I don't care who knows it. I'm in love. I'm in love, you know? <laughs> and then the first test and I'm like, oh man, why did I feel so badly? Um, but one of the things that I love about, especially Holy Thursday, that's one of my favorite liturgies. One of the things that I love reflecting on is you see the two people that really are featured as having experienced the test um, are Peter and Judas. And Peter makes a v- terrible mistake, a very hurtful and, and horrible mistake in denying Jesus three times. But he weeps bitterly and he repents and he comes back and God does great things with him. Whereas Judas, in his mistake and walking away, he despairs and he ends his life. Um, and you see that in a lot of people's spiritual lives when you're going really strong, you make a mistake do we weep bitterly and own that and repent and have the goodwill to get up again? Or do we walk away and think, well, I'll never be good enough, which in, in effect really anticipates God's punishment and not God's mercy. Because um, the baby agrees with me that <laughs> God's, you know, the next day, if Judas had just waited and seen what God was going to do, that he was going to rise again, Instead, he he anticipated that God is mad at him. God hates him. He he's upset about his mistake. He tries to make amends in a way by throwing the silver back um, and and giving making that return. But he he doesn't wait to accept God's mercy, whereas Peter does. And I know that I've had those moments in my life where I felt like I've anticipated God's judgment before I anticipate God's mercy. So Holy Week really has a very significant um, time, time in my life where I feel like I'm entering into that drama of the Holy Week with my own spiritual life experience. 
I have a priest that I know that talks about what you just did about Judas and Peter, and he talks about the only unforgivable sin is not asking for forgiveness. And so that's where, you know, Judas and Peter differed, is that Peter eventually did ask Jesus for that forgiveness, and Judas just lost hope. Well, and I like that reflection, because I don't know about you guys, but, like, there have been times when I've gone to confession, many times that I've gone to confession, and I've, you know, been contrite about it, and I've, you know, done all the things, like, you know, really reflected on everything, like, divulged everything that I needed to divulge, and I receive absolution, and as I'm doing my penance, I'm still asking God to forgive me because it's like, you know, I don't, I think what it really comes down to is not trusting that God has actually forgiven me is really what it is. Like I, I'm looking interiorly like, you know, oh, I'm not, you know, I've done these bad things or whatever, you know, and I betrayed you. But really at the core of what it is, is that you don't, I don't trust him that he's actually forgiven me. And so I think that's, that's, I like that reflection that you gave on, on Holy Week because that's how it is for, for me. And so, you know, I think Holy Week is a really great reflection then on trusting, like learning to trust God that, you know, you go through these stages in your life and they're repeated and, and whatnot, but you can always rely on what happens on that Sunday. Yeah. And I love, so Hans von Balthasar has this little reflection on Holy Saturday. And I know that getting into his theology is risky because he, he's can be used by some people to be a universalist where like everybody's going to heaven, nobody's going to hell. Um, but one of the things that's, that he talks about that I, I learned a while ago was that, um, you know, Satan thought that he won because Jesus is dead on the cross and not anticipating that resurrection. And so it's like, Somebody once said, uh, you know, imagine Jesus like kicking down the doors of hell and like being like, I've arrived, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, you know, the, the theology there is, is not the greatest, but, um, what I really just love that all these people, all these souls have been waiting for this. All of God's people have been waiting for this. And this is such a triumphant moment. And with all the cra- crazy of our world this last year, I feel like we're kind of also in that same place of waiting. Where's the victory, Lord? Can we catch a break here? You know, it seems like evil is just running rampant, and it seems like evil is getting that victory. And we know that's not true, but coming into Holy Week, we can kind of bring all of those concerns and all of those fears to the cross again um, and, and experience the joy of the resurrection. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the whole like Jesus kicking in the door because I like that because well I've tried to explain to people like in the creed that we say before the rosary the apostles creed you know he descended into hell and a lot of people don't understand why Jesus went into hell but he went into hell to get and I think the trans the actual literal translate translation isn't exactly hell but it was like and so, but still, there are souls that are waiting for him that he went down and, you know, the devil didn't win, Satan didn't win. You know, he was still triumphant. And I like that image of him kicking in the door. He's <laughs> 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 like, I won. Yeah. Well, that, I definitely you, have that image in my head now. <laughs> I, I had never known that, that Jesus, the name Jesus is understood to mean a rescuer. Um, and... 
that's yeah that is really powerful to me that we know Jesus's name has power whatever we ask in his name will be done and that that idea of to, to rescue to seek and save the lost all of those themes come up in um in holy week but then there's also just his practical advice of you know uh, us going and doing as he did when he washes his disciples feet and he says as I have done for you, go and do for others. Because even just that one line speaks a psychological truth that people find their highest levels of happiness when they are using their gifts to serve other people, which seems, you know, contra contrary to what we think when we're in this American culture where it's like, get what I want when I want it. And my personal happiness is, is the most important thing. Whereas actually the people that are happiest are those who are serving. So there's so many themes to pull out during Holy Week that I just, we could be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you talked about also the washing of the feet. And I don't know if any of you have had your feet washed during a Thursday service, but it's a very uncomfortable. Like, you're up there in front of everybody, and they take, you know, you have your shoe off, and the priest is washing your feet. And I just, I remember when I was in high school, I was asked to be one of the people who went up and got their feet washed because of my work with the youth group at the time. And I just kept thinking about, this must be how the disciples felt. Like, this is so awkward, having Father wash my feet. <laughs> and, but... You know, but it was also one of those things that well, you were asked, so you don't want to say no either, which I think is another thing that the apostles felt like, well, he's telling us to do this, so we better do it. And just like, okay. <laughs> That's but, all. Yeah, and then like and Peter, right? He's the one who, like, he was like, don't, don't wash my feet. Mm -hmm. But then, then he says, well, in order to... Um, I don't remember the exact words that he said, but, uh, you know, I, you know, you need, I need to serve you. And he's like, well then go ahead and like wash everything else on me. And it's like, how many times do we do that? It's don't like, overdo it, Peter. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not get carried away. You know? Well, and actually like in the times when Jesus was alive, washing your feet was actually a sign of respect for the other person because right. you walked around all day with your sandals on. And so when you went inside, you know, if somebody washed your feet when you came in, it was like a way of cleansing you before you mm -hmm. came inside the house mm -hmm. and so by Jesus asking them to do that it was actually a very it was a humble thing because mm -hmm. he is God and he's like no I'm going to serve you by washing your feet mm -hmm. for you yeah that's something we did last year um during the everything shut down because we always go to to the Holy Thursday Mass and so this year or last year though um we kind of did our own like thing at home like we did watch it on tv but uh, but then also my husband went and he washed everybody's feet and my kids were like daddy what are you doing yeah. <laughs> and so it was that same feeling of kind of like that awkward thing even though like we wash them all the time they're our kids you know that's part of like being a parent but to sit there and like let let somebody quietly like wash a part of you or like cleanse you in that way it is like you said stacy really humbling and um it kind of tickles <laughs> we did something similar where my the older kids like so my oldest watch washed my next oldest feet and we went down by age and then my youngest because he didn't have anybody's feet to wash decided he wanted to wash mine but we did that as part of our homeschool that day and so 
we washed each other's feet during school. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That my husband washed all of our feet, and then all of the kids washed each other's feet, and it went on for like an hour, <laughs> and it was a lot. Um, but but it was really beautiful to see. We do stations every week throughout Lent, um, and it, um, like like Alicia said, it's very powerful. Um, our parish actually has um, the I can never pronounce this right. Taize prayer to Tizay. Sure. <laughs> prayer um, before stations and that's been um, kind of a nice like time of reflection. There's music and readings and um, and then we go into stations and um, but you just you know, every you know week we've been going through what happened um, on on that on that Friday. Um, when I go for veneration on friday it's always weird that jesus isn't there mm-hmm. because on holy thursday they take, they take you know they have this procession out this silent procession out and they bring jesus to another part another place and then they have the you know, altar adoration repose, yeah. and it's just it's so strange to go into the church and not genuflect <laughs> and most people still do <laughs> but i mean because it is and the, and the candles not lit and it's just this weird like feeling and it's like that only time that it's called like a service not mass or like you know it's like it's not you know uh, and usually i think most parishes do have a um have a communion service with it uh, not all but um but it's just, a, it's a kind of an eerie time. It's mm-hmm. a really eerie time. And I feel that you really kind of get into that sense of how the disciples may have felt. Like with, that Jesus isn't, isn't in here with us. Like what is going on? And that, um, and then going in and really just giving your respect to the cross and saying, thank you. Thank you for, for the sacrifice you did for me. Also, you know, there's that there's a scripture that says, you know, the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken from them and there will be much weeping. And I always thought, well, he's talking about his crucifixion and when he's gone for three days before he, he rises again. But we experienced that during the pandemic, you know, that the bridegroom was taken from us. Um, people experience significant loss, especially those who were supposed to be able to be entered into the fullness of the church. Um, and Alicia, you're our you're our convert here. What is what was the experience going through the Easter vigil, and how do you think it would have impacted you to not have that experience when you expected it? Yeah, um, I mean, I had a pretty powerful conversion myself. It's too long to get into, but. Um, yeah, I just remember I was so excited to come into the church. Like, I had overcome quite a bit of just doubt on my end about who God was and who Jesus is and just everything that I had learned over the course of studying the faith and going through RCIA. And so I was really pumped. And I, I imagine that's how a lot of people are, especially, like, I came from agnosticism. And so um, I really, I really, I guess it doesn't really matter if you come from atheism, agnosticism, or Protestantism, like... Oftentimes you're taught that, you know, that you're like the Pope is the Antichrist and and all of that. Yeah, when I came into the church, I was so excited and I had so many people there that I cared about and I I was baptized, received um, my first communion and was confirmed, you know, all in the same, same go. And 
you know, they, I was, I was, I got baptized at St. John the Baptist and they have like a baptismal font that you walk into and you kneel down and they pour the water over your head. And I was pretty certain that what was going to happen because I cry a lot about things, especially back then. I was an incredibly emotional person. I just (laughs) cried about everything. So I was pretty sure I was just going to be like bawling my eyes out. But I go and, you know, they pour the water on my head. I get baptized and I'm like, oh, this is great. And I go get changed. And then, you know, first communion comes up. And that's where I really thought that I was going to, you know, start crying because I'm like, this is incredible. Like it makes me want to tear up a little bit because it was just uh, like reminiscing on it. It was amazing. But I go and I receive it and I get back down on the pew and I like, you know, lean down and my sponsor's beside me. Like, you know, I told her I was probably going to cry. She's just like, it's okay, honey. It's okay. Thinking I'm crying. (laughs) But I didn't, I didn't have like this big emotional kind of response to it. It was just the most pure peace I have ever felt before. And it was just, it was amazing. Like, oh my gosh, like a tear didn't come out of my eyes. It was just nothing but just this serene, joyful peace. Um, and so, yeah, like I think, you know, last year not being able to go to mass and I can't remember if last year during the Easter season, if it was all online or if we were doing it outside. Well, I guess I suppose either way, like when we did it online, you know, it seemed like an extra step back because from the Eucharist, because, you know, regardless of whether or not he's on the screen or not, he's there. And so that is definitely important. Um, when we were able to go in the parking lot, that was, you know, a little step closer to him and stuff. But I remember, you know, the first time we went and did that, my husband and I both cried because, you know, father walked around and was blessing everybody in their cars. Oh, it makes me want to cry. Gosh. And just knowing that like this was, that wasn't the same anymore and I couldn't receive him and it just broke my heart. Oh, and so, yeah, I guess saying all of that, that's a really long way to get to answer your question, <laughs> but yeah, I can't, I can't imagine how that would have been to be so excited to enter into the church and receive our Lord for the first time, like realizing for maybe the, you know, the first time in your life, that this is God and he is allowing you to partake of him. And the, the graces and the blessings that flow from that and then not being able to enter into the church. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I remember hearing people talk about that and, um, you know, the consolation that I hoped people had was that, you know, regardless of whether or not they could enter into the church, like, you know, they couldn't, they weren't, they weren't being kept away from the church um, by, you know, something of their own fault. Right. And God knew that. Yeah, it was just their, um, it, they had no control over these circumstances yeah. that they'd have to surrender to that, which would be really hard. It would be really hard, yeah. But it also gave you, it just made the Holy Week a lot more solemn, mm-hmm. you know? You think of how close the apostles were to Jesus and how brokenhearted they were, how brokenhearted his mother was, that he was absent, he was at a distance from them, and and our like little piece of that was not being able to receive him in the Eucharist and not being able to go into the church, that, that same hiddenness of Jesus. And I didn't realize, I honestly, when they were like, you know, watch church online, nobody can come in person. I was kind of like, maybe this won't be so bad dragging six kids into <laughs> church. And, um, at that time it was five, but I felt like six <laughs> so going into church and, and maybe this would be a good in some way. There was going to be some blessing. And I didn't realize how much the Eucharist affects my life, 
you know, mm -hmm. his physical presence, him knowing that we are physical people, we need to touch, smell, hear, and that's where our sacraments come into play. Um, all of a sudden, when, when we didn't have it, we went to one of the parking lot masses and just seeing the priest hold Jesus up and, and like, I just started bawling. And I had no, I, no idea just that, how much I, I really need that closeness to Jesus in a physical way. Even though I know he's with us always spiritually, but his physical presence, how much I needed that. And even my kids at one point, my daughter said, mom, I really miss receiving him. Mm -hmm. And I was stunned because our kids are such pains at mass sometimes, <laughs> you know. Um, but you know well, saying that other people, like around, maybe around the world, possibly around the country. I know, um, like, California has been mm. shut down in many areas. I don't know about, like, religious services. But, you know, that they still might not be able to receive or go to mass. So, yeah. like... You know, I'm, we're so blessed that here, that in Oklahoma, we get to go to Mass on Easter, Easter, uh, Holy Week, pardon me, um, and, and, uh, and Easter Sunday, and, but there are some people who still can't do that a year later, mm -hmm. and so praying for all those people, I can't imagine, but I think, I don't know, I think it's definitely a... a time, if you allow it to be, and it was, it, it was for me when I allowed it to be. Um, like a sanctifying time, you know, just to be able to like grow in that patience and grow and, you know, really think making, making it even to like even strive more for Christ. Like, I don't know if anybody else experienced that, but that time of not being able to go really made me want to want him more, you know? And so I'm hoping that's how it is for other people, like, you know, coming throughout the year and then coming up to Holy Week. Have y'all ever prayed the seven sorrows rosary? that. <laughs> Um, I was first introduced to the seven sorrows rosary, which would be the seven sorrows of Mary. Mm -hmm. Um, when I learned about Immaculate Labagiza, who was a Rwandan genocide survivor and Our Lady of Cabejo, um, which was an apparition in Africa, amazing stuff. Go look that up for sure. But seven sorrows rosary, oh. one of the sorrows oh. that I never thought of before, but was when Jesus was lost in the temple yeah. and it says in, in this reflection um, that, I, that I use that is in Immaculate's book, it says, um, you know, she, even though Mary never sinned, she experienced the, re the consequence of sin in that separation from Jesus when he was lost in the temple. Um, and even though, you know, through that separation we experience from our own sin, we kind of still think that some of those things are in our control. Whether we're close to Jesus or not is still in our control. You know, it has to do with sin. So when you have this pandemic where we want to be close to Jesus and it's not in our control, I think it just reveals a lot more like what an incredible father we have <laughs> who um, makes himself revealed to us, gives himself to us, even though he doesn't have to. And all these circumstances in the world that, that have happened, whether, you know, it's by human sin or by whatever, however the pandemic started, that he is still working, his grace is still working, even in feeling that separation from him. Um, uh, so, you know, we just recently celebrated St. Patrick's Day, and in his confessio, he says, um, I cannot keep silent for the graces that God has bestowed on me in my captivity. You know, he's still very much present even in this 
even when he's not. <laughs> you know, it seems like he's not. When you reflect back on like what the the disciples and like well all the follow the followers of Jesus at the time were feeling like we have like Palm Sunday, they're all excited like this is the Messiah, he's coming in, this is this amazing, you know, we're here, and then to so quickly have that term to him being crucified and that uncertainty that they must have felt of wait we we thought that this was this was the messiah were we wrong were you know is where is he gone um what do we do next and so i mean at least we we can have that hope and we have that we know like we that um we will you know be able to receive him again for those you know and for those who are still kind of without um being able to attend mass um or if they're, you know, just going through some other kind of, you know, situation, um, we have that hope and we know that he's, that we're going to receive him again and we know that he's going to come again. Um, but that, that uncertainty that they must have really felt during that time, I, I try to reflect on that, um, especially during, uh, Holy Saturday. It's kind of like that missed day in Holy Week. Every day there's like something that they say that's going on. And then Holy Saturday is just kind of like, he was gone? Yeah, what celebrate. did we do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Waiting for the Easter vigil? <laughs> um, but really, what were the disciples feeling during that time? They didn't know that he was going to be resurrecting again, even though he told them. Um, <laughs> Uh, they didn't understand. And so trying to kind of really put myself in the place of of the people of the time is uh, just something I like to reflect on. And I love that too, the last couple actions that Jesus does as he's suffering so much, he's dying on the cross, is, you know, forgives the, the thief. Mm-hmm. You know, today you'll be with me in paradise when he says, Lord, remember me. You know, his dying breath you will come with me to paradise. Like, you know, all the mistakes this guy must have made in his life or whatever, um, repents at the last moment. And Jesus in his dying breath, mercy is so important to him that in his dying breaths, he promises his salvation to this repentant sinner. I love that so much. It gives me hope for me, for my family members, for, you know, people who... We, we pray for their salvation and we just don't know um, what what their thoughts are at the last moment that mm-hmm. even in this dying breath, the final, final moments, he's, he's here for mercy, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and not only forgiving the thief, he asked God to forgive everybody who was doing everything, torturing him and killing him because, you know, for they not know not what they do. And so that's one thing that I try to keep in mind when... You know, I hear about things that are going on or like people, people have hurt me or my family members in you know, whatever way that they have that, you know, like they don't know what they're doing or like when I'm around family and they're using the Lord's name in vain. Um, and I'm like, you know, they just, they don't know what they're doing, like forgive them Lord and help them to come to you. And another thing that I was thinking of when mm-hmm. Noel and, and you, Noel and, um, Annie were talking, um, was about why it is that we call Good Friday Good Friday, when this is the day that Jesus suffered and died, and so many people who loved him suffered because they were losing, you know, their savior, the Messiah. And um, I was very confused about that for a really long time. 
But I learned that we call it, it's very simple, really. We call it Good Friday because of the hope that is innate in the crucifixion. I find that just beautiful. I went to a, a Protestant high school, and I remember one time um, that in, like, they, it was like a computer class, and someone had made, like, a computer, like, designed picture, I don't know, the computer art, some kind of art thing. Um, and it was this gorgeous depiction of a crucifix. And it was, I mean, it was stunning. I remember my teacher telling him, well, this is really nice, but we don't keep Jesus on the cross. I think that it really is important for us to reflect on what happened on that cross. When we go um, on, well, our family always goes to veneration on Friday. I know some aren't able to, to make it, but when we go to that service and you kiss the cross or touch the cross or whatever is acceptable now with COVID <laughs> um, but just to to recognize what magic like mystical miraculous event happened in this torture device it's just I feel like it's just so important for us to really remember and I think that there that's something that many of our uh, Protestant brothers and sisters are are kind of losing um, when they're not on what happens on Sunday, which is, which is important. I mean, we had to have the resurrection, but in order to have the resurrection, we had to have the crucifixion and, um, that celebration really, it is a celebration of all the events leading up to the resurrection through the, especially through the triterium, um, yeah, and that's there was this very well-known Christian speaker that we used to talk a lot about mental illness and mental health issues. Was really known for that and ended up dying by suicide. And one of the the reflections of a Catholic theologian on this man, you know, was not only just praising his work, but but saying like, wait a second, though, one thing that we keep doing in this country is preaching Christ without His cross, and so we lose that um, meaning of suffering that that hope of suffering uh, that we if we preach Christ without his cross it we give people the idea that life is going to be all fun and games if you just follow Jesus because he loves you so much where Jesus really is calling us to unite with him on the cross not to skip it to the resurrection well yeah. and there's no point in celebrating if there wasn't the sacrifice to begin with well, and, and one thing for me, too, um, even after becoming Catholic, like, I knew about what Jesus had done for us, but it had never really been, like, real for me, I guess. Because I didn't really know exactly what was a part of the resurrection. And so one thing that helped me was to go to the Stations of the Cross. I don't know. Um, have you guys been to that? Mm-hmm. I've only ever been once, and I don't know why. It was, like, I think maybe shortly after I converted. But it was one of the most powerful things I've ever been to. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, so that kind of helped it make it a bit more real for me. But then another thing I did was I started reading a book on what a crucifixion actually was. Because prior to this, like I, you know, I knew that the the thieves were up on the cross, but I didn't know what the whole process of a crucifixion entailed. I didn't think of it in a historical manner like this was a Roman execution that they actually did. It wasn't like kind of this 
story that you just get told or whatever. I knew it had happened, but it still felt just like a story. And so once I started learning about what he actually went through, and he had a little bit of added, like I know the the scourging was a normal part of a crucifixion. They did that to weaken you. Um, and to make it more painful for you to be up on the cross because as you're, you know, pushing yourself up in your feet and then falling down on, on you know, with um, holding on by your arms, it would scratch those those wounds and break them open again. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little detailed. But, you know, he had the, the added um, affliction of having the crown of thorns and all of that. And just learning about that, it was really actually hard to read because I just it just made it so much more real for me that like wow this is I've always heard that you know he suffered and died for me but I didn't really know exactly what that meant and so to read that it was just it was heartbreaking to see that and then it just gave me so much more of a like when I when I pray about this to Christ like I tell him you know I'm sorry that I did this to you like I was a part I am a part of the problem I am the reason part of the reason why you were on that cross but thank you also so much for being willing to do that for me like you are God you didn't have to do that and so going into Holy Week that's like a reflection for me is that you know wow like this is actually what you did I have a priest friend who recommends everybody watching the passion during Holy Week and I mean it's it's pretty graphic and it's probably hard for some people but that's what happened you know people don't want to look at it but it's like what you're I, I just thought of that when you're talking about your book because that you read because that was when I watched it the first time I was like this is what I picture in my head I've only I, yeah I've only been able to watch it once like I keep meaning to again mm-hmm. but it, I remember seeing it in the theater and just bawling mm-hmm. like the whole time um and you see, you know, read the Bible and hear the story of it, but to really see it depicted, you know, in, in color, <laughs> yeah. it is um, really heartbreaking. And just that same kind of realization that you said, Alicia, of, wow, this is, you did this for me. Mm-hmm. And then to think about Mary watching all this happen to her son mm-hmm. is just very stops. powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and then also, like, the the low, obviously, that they must have had, especially as a mother of God, like, seeing your child go through that, you know, like, you know, I have that anxiety some, oftentimes of, you know, imagining the bad things happening in my kids, and it hurts almost physically for me to think about that, and I have to offer it up, but actually see your child being tortured and, you know, I'm sure spit at and rocks thrown at you as you're, you're going up to, to Calvary. But just like the low that the disciples and Mary and all the people who loved him must have felt when they lost him and then they were confused about, you know, is what we believed about him wrong and and all of this. And then the high that they must have felt when he rose from the dead and they found it out and he appeared in the room to them. I find that beautiful. Uh, and just, I was just thinking about this for those of um, those people who can't receive, um, either because of the pandemic or because uh, you you know committed a mortal sin, you haven't been to confession. Receiving him spiritually is something that you can do. And I learned this at the start of the pandemic last year, and I didn't know about it. And when I found it out, I know that there's like a specific prayer that you can say. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I would. I can just... put that in the notes for people too. Oh, okay. 
But yeah, like once I, I realized that it made it a little bit easier because, you know, it made it real for me that yes, you know, there is a sacramental communion and that is important and we should definitely be receiving that because like you said, Noel, God knows that we need to have that physical aspect for us. And so receiving him spiritually isn't like a, you know, oh, well, I don't need to, you know, go and receive him sacramentally. You still need that. But it just made it a little bit easier just to be able to tell him, like, ask him, come into me. You know, I, I asked to receive you, you know, be here with me spiritually until I can receive you again. And it just kind of makes it more real, I think, for me that, you know, he is still here. Like, he hasn't left. Well, I think we've talked about it in another podcast, too, about the importance of us asking for Jesus to be with us. So, you know, remembering to not always just, you know, asking for the things that we want, but asking for him to be present, asking him to lead us. And sometimes it's just as powerful to ask him to be there. We put a lot of focus on the Triduum because, I mean, it's a big deal. But really going through each day of Holy Week, starting with Palm Sunday, and going through the like what Jesus did in that last week um, leading up, it's um, been kind of, I think, powerful in my family's life, like just to kind of really look at each of those days. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I hope we gave you a couple of things to think about this Holy Week. And if you are able... Um, it's always a good thing to attend some of these uh, services that are happening this week. If you're not able, um, well, we're going to continue to pray for you because that's hard. You know, Like you said, here it was hard for us to go however many months we went without being able to have Jesus. And if you're still in a, a place where you can't receive the Eucharist, we're praying for you. And, um, but know that at the end of this week, there's that hope and he's going to continue to be with us and he's going to continue to be there for us. But, um, so you have these services this week. If you, um, are up for it, maybe watching the passion this week, stations of the cross. And, um, also something that I found very powerful when I'm able to go is a lot of churches will have a period of adoration from Holy Thursday to Good Friday. So um, if you're able to do adoration, that would be a good thing. Well, So we hope that we have sparked some thoughts on reflection for this week and maybe given you a couple of practical things to also try out if you haven't. And we hope you have a very blessed Holy Week. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Join us again in two weeks. Until then, may God bless you and may Mary accompany you.